Michael, this is all very confusing. So last week I was having lunch with Mike and Tino, and I referred to Mike as a 65-year-old. <laughs> Being that he just celebrated his 63rd birthday, he somewhat took offense to the fact that I was prematurely aging him. So advice to future self, the elderly are a little bit sensitive about their age. But that got me thinking about some mistakes I've made over the years and what financial advice I might give to my younger self if I had had the opportunity. So in today's episode, we'll each talk about a few lessons we've learned over the years and the impact of poorly made financial decisions. I'm Remy Bartolotta, and this is On Markets, presented by Darwin Asset Management and Darwin Wealth Management. With me today, I have Chief Investment Officer Michael Sorrentino, and of course, Senior Financial Advisor Michael Bartolotta. If you have any questions, comments, or just want to shout out on the show, email comments at onmarkets.com, or you can hit me up directly at remy at onmarkets.com. And of course, if you like the show, please hit the follow button on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. So MB, you're likely the wisest of the three of us. Because I'm so elderly. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, aside from maybe perhaps not having children, what financial advice would you give to your younger self? (laughs) You know, it's going to sound a little bit contrived, but not to be so impulsive. And I don't really mean impulsive in the way most people take it, but impulsive about big decisions. And, you know, when I think about it, I think about like the first house I bought. It was in the mid late 80s. You know, I was in my late 20s at the time. Home values were skyrocketing kind of the way they are now, except that interest rates were really high. So I made this decision. I felt like I was going to get priced out. I was never going to be able to buy a house. I sort of bought into the whole thing that prices are always going to go up and interest rates were high. And I took a variable mortgage at like, I don't know, 11% or something. And it went up like 2% a year. And I, I just paid way too much for this this house and way too much for the mortgage. And it was because I didn't sit back and, and think about it long enough to think that this is not something that's sustainable, that just be patient and make a more rational decision. I got caught up in the, oh my God, if I don't do this now, I'm never going to be able to do it. You know, and I ended up losing money in the house, the only house I ever lost money on. And I think that I've made a few mistakes like that, just not being patient. And I think that that's one of those things that I guess comes with age. Although I got to admit, I fight it now sometimes. It's easy to get caught up in some of the things that are happening in the news and the media. It makes you feel sort of like I have to do something right now. But I would say it's been easier for me as I've gotten older. But in my youth, I made a lot of decisions that were not necessarily rational because I don't know, I was going to miss something. It was a fear of missing out. So that would be my advice to my younger self is just to step back. Don't be so impulsive. It applies to all kinds of things, not just finances, but especially finances. So ignore the FOMO. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of like panic selling, but really panic buying. I don't think that's any different than what we saw last year with the meme stocks and GameStop and AMC and all the cryptocurrencies. It was the same thing. The FOMO, Reddit type crowd, Wall Street bets, all of it. The funny thing though is as you get older, right? And even at that time, I remember people telling me to take a deep breath and relax. And when you're young, you sort of think, that they're old, they don't really understand and so forth. And I find myself when I'm talking to younger people trying to express those same sentiments older people were trying to express to me when I was young, but in a way that doesn't sound like I'm just old, out of touch guy. The paradox is that as you get older, you take it slower, right? You think about it more and you take more time to make your decision. Whereas when you're younger, you make these snap decisions. Yet when you're younger, you have a lot more time to recover. Yeah, it's true. But then you think as you get older, you think if I made the right decision back then, what a head start it would have given me. I made a lot of mistakes. I would say the one that comes to mind, and I think you both will probably enjoy this or at least make fun of me for this, but this idea that you got to get this really expensive, fancy education. And to be clear, I'm not dogging the education, but 
you know, it's like any other investment. I didn't go into school thinking that. I, I was like, I got to get a good degree. I got to get a good MBA. And I didn't really think about, well, what am I going to do with this? What's my ROI? It's an investment. It's a very, these days, it's like a six figure investment, right? And a lot of people think that you graduate with a degree or a fancy degree, doesn't really matter. And you say, okay, now the world's just going to accept me in and I'm going to go to Wall Street and get that fancy job or whatever it might be. And I mean, it helped, don't get me wrong, but it was by no means a slam dunk. So, you know, I look back and, and I'd say that education is like any other investment. You got to put a lot of thought into it and ask yourself, what's going to be my return on this investment? I don't really think that education is the only thing that gets you where you need to get to, right? I mean, it's one component, but if you don't have the drive, if you don't have the ambition, education is not going to help you. I feel like we're telling young people right now that you go to school, you get an education, you're going to walk out and you're going to get a six-figure job and you know how to rule the world. And it's really, it's just not the case. That's the sales pitch for education. Come here, come to Harvard, six figures, lever up, all right? Or you want to become a doctor, super lever up, or a lawyer, whatever it might be. And then go out there and spend the next 25 years trying to pay it off. I mean, is it worth it? I don't know. What's interesting is that I think we might see a shift in that, though. Because if you look at different industries, for example, the developer industry, right? The tech industry, IT, whatever you want to call it. Large app developers these days, they put a lot more value on experience than they do on education. So most listeners know I have an application development background. So I have sat through multiple interviews with development firms. And those interviews are dramatically different than any other company I've ever interviewed with. You know, usually you go into the interview and you get the standard questions, you know, if it's a sales job, you know, sell me this pen or, you know, tell me about a time that you went above and beyond or, or you know, the typical nonsense questions. But when you go into an interview for development, they give you problems to solve. And they don't quite care what the resolution is. They're really looking to see how you think when you go to solve that problem. They're looking at sort of how you approach the problem and what measures you put in place to solve the problem. Whether you actually solve it or not is, is somewhat irrelevant. And depending on that outcome, they make a decision, are they going to hire or not? And it has very little to do with the education. So, you know, I don't think that's true with all industries, but I do think you are seeing a little bit of a shift from maybe 10, 15 years ago. Not only that, I just read an article that said that the average salary of a plumber or electrician with five years of experience exceeds the average salary of an accountant with five years experience, the average salary. Think about that. Oh my, that doesn't shock me at all, actually. We tell kids, you know, go to school, be a professional, otherwise you're going to end up, you know, flipping hamburgers or whatever, as though manual labor is somehow not as honorable of a profession as some sort of white collar job. Well, I think it's also too, there's a commoditization effect going on here. When my father went to college, he was the first one in our family to go to college. This is back in the 60s. Nobody went to college. So his degree was more marketable. When he got his MBA, nobody got an MBA when he was there. And he got it. So he was able to open some doors and it was a big deal. And he learned a lot too. You know, I think today, Everybody and their mother has two degrees and is in grad school. And you know, these MBAs, I hate to say it, they're almost kind of like a dime a dozen. So again, it's like if you're going to go and try to get on Wall Street or try to get in a consulting firm or whatever it is you're trying to do with that MBA, just remember that everybody else has one these days. So it doesn't carry the same weight anymore. And you got to bring something else to the table. And I think, Remy, what you said is very interesting. That experience factor, that being able to say, look, I can do this or I've done this and being able to point to that. 
when I hire analysts having an MBA, I know that you know, it's really not all that impressive when you get into the nitty gritty. If somebody comes to my office with a CFA or a chartered financial analyst designation, I'm very impressed. And you know what? He spent probably one thirtieth of the cost to get that degree or that certification than any Harvard MBA out there. So putting the actual education aside, though, there is another component to higher education that I think is overlooked very often, which is the development of relationships. And it's hard to put a price on that. So I would tend to agree that in regards to the actual education portion of going to school, it may or may not be worthwhile. But it would be hard to put a value on the relationships that you leave college with that you don't necessarily get. And there's a lot of value to those relationships that can help you get ahead. So I I can see sort of both sides of the coin here. All right. So Remy, what do you got for us? Interestingly enough, mine is almost the exact opposite of Mike's. That's funny. I wrote down a few of mine in a more uh, Tino fashion. I made them sort of little quotes. And my first one was, trust your gut, but proceed cautiously. And I'm going to take you back to about 2009 when Bitcoin was a dollar a coin. I had been looking at it. I was one decision away from pulling the trigger and buying 10,000 coins. And that was a lot of money for me. And you know, I really didn't know too much about Bitcoin. And I, to be quite honest, I feel like I still don't know enough about Bitcoin. But I sort of felt like there was something there. I felt like there was something happening and I just wasn't quite sure. And the mistake that I made is I started asking a bunch of other people. I asked everybody I knew, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? What do you think about this? And just about everybody I asked knew even less than I did. And, you know, it, it, was, it was a high risk at the time. And I ended up not buying it. Had I proceeded, I would have $422 million today. <laughs> so, ouch. <laughs> you know, the good thing for our listeners is that I'm on this podcast and I wouldn't have been had I invested in that, <laughs> in that Bitcoin, I guess. So I can probably point to a handful of stories like that over the years. That's the one that 15 years later still burns every day. That's the one that stings. It is, yeah, it, it hurts. So I think that, that for me, I also have a lot of stories like Mike's where I did sort of take the plunge and it didn't end up well. So I would still say, trust your gut, but proceed cautiously. I actually like the trust your gut thing, right? When I think back on things where I had a really strong feeling about something, but didn't trust myself and I started talking to other people and decided not to do it. And every time I always say to myself, I'm never going to listen to anybody else again. I'm going to trust what I really think is the right thing. And then I end up doing it again for some reason. (laughs) Even now at my advanced age, I I find myself doing that. (laughs) In your twilight years. (laughs) Yes, exactly. My next one is in youth, be a buyer and in retirement, be a seller. You know, I think we talked about it last week or a couple of weeks ago. Mike, you mentioned about opening up an e-trade account and sort of thinking that you're an investor, but you're really a trader. And, yeah. And, you know, I did the exact same thing. And when I think back about a lot of the transactions that I made, you know, the purchases were mostly pretty good. I mean, it was pretty rare that I, I didn't make a good purchase. But where I fell apart was the sale, right? I think back to why did I sell some of these? And the reality is I had no good reason, right? I'll give you an example. I think 2016, 2017, Apple stock dipped a little bit and I bought it at $90 a share. About a month, month and a half later, I sold it at about 120 a share. And I thought I was like the smartest guy on the planet. You know, I was like, wow. Nice I, Peter I, Lynch. I, I, yeah, 30% gain in a couple months. I'm, I'm killing it. And of course, then it proceeded to climb up to about $400 a share before it split. So I think back to, well, why did I sell it? I don't know why I sold it. There was no good reason. You know, I sold it because I thought, hey, you know what? I'm up 30%. 
I should lock in my gains. But the reality is I didn't have a good logical reason to make that sale. And when I look back at a lot of the sales that I made, it's sort of the same thing. It's like, why did I sell this? There wasn't really a strong reason to sell the stock. It was just that I had made some money and then I didn't want to lose it. So I locked them in. So I think if I were to go back, I would still make those purchases. And I have a nasty habit. When I exit a stock, I still leave that stock on my watch list because I like to watch it and I'll watch it for years afterwards. Well, you're a glutton for punishment. Why would you even do that? A hundred percent because it's never good. It's always a bad decision. So I watch these things for years and I just, you know, I kick myself. And again, we talked about this a, a few weeks ago or last week, maybe unless you're really doing the research and you really understand the company that you've bought into and the management team that you've bought into, and you sort of understand sort of the direction of the company, then what's your reason for selling? You probably don't really have a good one. Yeah, but nobody's telling you that back then, right? Nobody's telling you that at that age. No one's giving you investment advice. No one's taking you seriously because you're, you're 22 years old and you're basically an idiot. So, you know, I mean, no one's telling you that stuff. No. If anything, you get the opposite. I sold that Apple stock and everybody was like, oh my God, you're 30%. You know, you're killing it. And you know, what are you going to buy next? You know, it's, you're getting the wrong feedback for sure. It's the stuff they don't teach you in school, right? Yeah, they don't, they don't teach that in school. You know, actually, early on in my career, it's funny you bring that up, Remy, because I used to always confuse trades with investments. And that's ultimately what it is. Before you buy a stock, you got to ask yourself, are you trading this thing or are you going to own this thing as an investment? Because there's a difference, as we always talk about, between owning stocks and owning companies. And a lot of times when you mix those two together, you have suboptimal outcomes for sure. For sure. I used to work with a guy whose favorite expression was pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. You know, that stuck with me. And I felt like if I had a gain, you know, I don't want to get greedy. I'm just going to, you know, take, take what I've got and, and move on and be happy with it. You know, I didn't leave it on my watch list though. Yeah, I was going to say, hopefully you pulled them off the watch list. <laughs> so this one is learn how money works. And the reason why I say this is that, Remy, I was in your world for a long time. I was a software developer, I was a consultant, very technical background, engineering background. And I always used to tell myself that, oh, I don't, I don't understand finance. I don't understand markets. So I never really tried to learn. And yeah, I graduated college and all my friends are going to investment banking and I didn't. And I, I didn't understand that world at all. Not because it's hard, it's because I kept telling myself, that I didn't have a financial mind. It wasn't for me. And you know, one day well, I was actually in the gym and I, same thing, I used to tell myself all the time I couldn't do pull-ups. I'm tall, I weighed a lot, it's just too hard to do. And I finally said, well, why do I keep telling myself that? So I finally got good at pull-ups and it didn't take that long. So I applied the same logic to finance and investing and it took a little bit longer to learn how to do a pull-up. But what I realized is that having a financial mind early on is the single most important thing that you can do. I don't want to talk politics here, but I, I just saw the governor of Florida is trying to pass a bill that requiring financial literacy before people graduate high school. You know, I, I, again, staying away from the politics, I think that's a great idea because the earlier you can understand this stuff, the better. And Mike and Remy, you know by now that this is not calculus. This is not differential equations. This is third grade math. That's what 98% of finance is. So it's really a mindset. It's like learning a foreign language. And the sooner you learn that, the better off your life is going to be. Because all these problems and these mistakes that we're talking about right now, a lot of them could be solved through some very basic education early on. Listen, I'm amazed at how many people I talk to that don't understand taxes. But you don't learn any of that stuff when you're young. You just don't. It's, so you're right. You know, Learning how money works at an early age will make a huge difference in your life. And then, and then the next step is learning how markets work. Because again, when you get in this business, you think there's a magic formula. We always say markets are accountable to Darwin, not Newton, right? And we say that for a reason. There is no formula. There's no gravity in finance. There's no equation. 
And the more time you spend in markets, the more exposure you had to them, you realize they're run by human behavior, human emotions. And I think that's interesting because, Mike, considering you're so much older than us, you probably know <laughs> a lot more people that have money than we do. But I've met a few people that are worth a lot of money. And it's funny. I'd say there's no difference between somebody that has $100,000 and somebody that has $100 million half the time. They're terrified of losing what they have. And it's because they don't understand money. They don't understand how they got there to a certain degree. And they're terrified of losing it because they don't understand markets and the process of investing. So it's funny. There's people that you meet throughout life and they tell you, oh, I used to do this and I used to do that. And you go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's cool, whatever. And then there's other people like Tino who I can't picture a Tino in the world that doesn't have a financial mind. It doesn't <laughs> seem possible to me. It took a lot of work. So Mike, you kicked it off. So I'm going to give you the mic to end it too. Oh man, you're looking for something profound. You put me on the spot. Listen, learn as much as you can about money. Listen to people. Sit back, think about it. it don't be impulsive. That's my thing. I would say that, you know, I, I, Remy, I, I don't know how much you listened to Mike's advice when you were younger. Not at all, just so you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I definitely got good advice from my parents, my father, specifically around business and money and everything. And I didn't listen to 5% of what he told me. And I had a lot of other people when I was young that were telling me to do things from the bottom of their heart, just trying to be nice. And I ignored 98% of it because I thought I knew everything. And that's a hard thing to do when you're young is to stop and listen to people that know what they're talking about. But I think that's the takeaway more than anything else. So listen to what Mike has to say right now. This podcast is created and presented by Darwin Asset Management LLC and Darwin Advisors LLC, collectively referred to as Darwin. Darwin does not make any representation or warranties and therefore takes no responsibility as to the accuracy, timeliness, suitability, completeness, or relevance of any information contained in this podcast. Any tax or legal information contained in this podcast is general in nature. Always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. The information presented does not involve the rendering of personalized investment advice. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk, and there can be no assurance that any investment or strategy will be suitable or profitable for a client's portfolio. All investment strategies have the potential for profit and loss. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Information presented is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation of any offer to buy or sell the securities mentioned herein.